Well, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. Um, If you've got a Bible, it'd be great to turn there. If not, the words will come up on the screen. Um, But we're going to read together um, the next part, um, the final part of Stephen's story. Um, So let's hear this together. Danny um, is going to come and read for us. um, And then we'll unpack it together. Thanks, Danny. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and, yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. Thanks, Danny. Well, please keep that open um, as we think about that just for a um, a little while now. And I want to start... um, I want to take you back in your minds to the time when we read of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Uh, Jesus has a vast crowd in front of him, and there's not enough food, and he says, where are we going to get food? And then a little boy brings his lunchbox, and Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and feeds the vast crowd. But the interesting thing in that story is at the end of it, there's this interesting detail where Jesus says to his disciples, now gather up all the pieces... Let nothing be wasted. So Jesus isn't interested in simply feeding the crowd. He then says, let nothing be wasted. And what I want to do this afternoon is I want you to have those words sort of whispering in your ears as you think about this story of Stephen. Let nothing be wasted. That is how Jesus treats his people. Let nothing be wasted. And as we go through this story, and we'll see this building as we go through the story, we'll see that that is a suitable summary of this tragic but glorious death of Stephen. Let nothing be wasted. Because in reality, it seems like a tragic waste. It seems like a disaster. This promising young preacher who seems so full of the Holy Spirit and so full of Jesus is now dead. But Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. And that's the encouragement I think we need to desperately hear this afternoon. Jesus wants to whisper into your life, let nothing be wasted, nothing. So let's come back to this life of Stephen. We've been examining this the last few weeks. Um, We spent the last four weeks just looking closely at this character of Stephen. And we've seen him as a man full of the Holy Spirit and, and a man full of power and full of grace. And it's been quite exciting to learn of him. It's been quite exciting to read about who he is. And we saw how Stephen was hated, and he was put on trial for blasphemy. So Stephen is accused of being a blasphemer. And so at the start of chapter 7, we saw this last week, the high priest said to Stephen, are these charges true? Are you a blasphemer? Is that true, Stephen? 
And what Stephen does is he doesn't answer the charges. Instead, Stephen recounts the whole story of the Bible, turns the table, and at the end of chapter 7, at the end of his speech to the Sanhedrin, he turns the table on them and he becomes their accuser. He accuses them of blasphemy. The very thing that Stephen was accused of, he now says, no, you are the ones who are blaspheming God. And so we saw at the end of last Uh, last week, verse 31, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, you're just like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You see, that was, Stephen was accused, but he becomes the accuser. And what we're going to do in this, uh, just to unpack this, um, these few verses we've got before us this afternoon, is see four things. I want us to think about what Stephen faced, then what Stephen saw, then what Stephen prayed, and then what Stephen launched. That's where we're heading this afternoon. What Stephen faced, what he saw, what he prayed, what he launched. So let's get started with um, what Stephen faced. What was it that Stephen was facing as he's preached to this Sanhedrin? They are the religious leaders of the day. Well, listen to the language. When the members of the Sanhedrin, this is verse 54, heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. It's it's difficult to miss, really, the sheer intensity of the hatred and fury that these guys feel towards Stephen. It's staggering. The language used here is really very strong. When it says they're furious, it literally means that they are sawn in two. That's what the word means. They're kind of, they're ripped apart. They're so angry by what they hear. They gnash their teeth. Have you ever gnashed your teeth? It's not something we often do, is it? To gnash your teeth is when your teeth become, you're so wound up, you're so, ugh, that your teeth are tightly bound together and you, your jaw gets sore because you've found you're stressed. And that, that's what, they're like, such is their anger towards him. It's an automatic and intense reaction expressing deep rage. I guess it's like, I mean, not entirely like, but it's, I guess it's like the Incredible Hulk, right? So the Incredible Hulk, here he is, Steve Bannon. Is Steve Bannon, is that right? Just going through life. And, um, but then when he gets, something winds him up, and his heart rate raises, he loses control. And that, that's what they're like. Come on, we've got, we got to, you've got to get this, right? These are the religious, respectable elite of the day. These are the guys who would engage in high intellectual conversation. But in response to Stephen, they just lose it. They've lost control of themselves. No longer is it a rational and reasonable engagement. The red mist has descended, and they're just on the rampage. So if you jump down to verse 57, it says, At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him and dragged him out of the city. I mean, can you imagine the scene? You've got to keep remembering, these are the respectable guys, right? The religious guys, the quiet, contemplative guys, who now yell at the top of their voices, they've completely lost it. And they rush at Stephen like a stampede, like a a wild animal. 
And what we need to see is that what Stephen faced is an intense fury. And I want you to feel that this afternoon. The intensity of what Stephen experienced. Because the reality is that many people in our world rage against God. Many people in our world, when they're confronted and when they're challenged, a fury, almost an irrational fury, will explode out of them. Um, when I was, back in my days when I was a youth worker, um, I once took, uh, a, this, is not, this is not the highlight of my youth work career, um, and this is not going to commend you to me to you as a youth worker for the future. But anyway, I took a group of young people on a walk through the woods, and um, I thought that was a safe activity. I thought that was going to be fine. So we went through this walk through the woods, and me and um, my friend Simon, we were leading the way, and it was all going very well, um, and it was a lovely afternoon, and we were just tramping through the wood undergrowth, until suddenly we heard behind us a screaming, I mean like a sheer panic screaming. And we turned around, and all we could see were people running in every direction in utter panic. And it's like, what is going on? Anyway, it turns out what had happened is we'd walked through a wasp's nest. Uh, Simon and I had, I mean, who's going to put that on a risk assessment? I mean, seriously. So we'd walked through this uh, wasp's nest. We'd stirred it all up. We were fine because we'd walked through it, and they'd all walked into an angry bunch of wasps. Now, the reason I say that is because the, the kind of, the wasps were there minding their own business, but as soon as they were stirred up, their fury was unleashed. And these teenagers really got it. One of them was stung 23 times. <laughs> I mean, oh, just totally, really bad. <laughs> now, see, here's the thing, right? It's easy to assume that we live in a world which is quite neutral towards God. It's easy to assume that we live in a world where people are sort of, oh, well, fine. We live in a tolerant society, right? We live in a country where we're allowed to get on with doing what we want to do. And the reality is that our world is only tolerant as long as we don't confront them. So you're fine to get on with doing what you want to do. Look, if you want to sing little songs and have a happy little time and believe in some Jesus guy, that's fine. You carry on. Carry on. We won't hassle you. Just get on with it. But the problem is what Stephen did is he confronted the religious leaders of the day and said, no, you are wrong. And that stores up, st stirs up a wasp's nest of fury. And, you know, the danger is, right, the danger is that we settle for this kind of peace that we have, that we go, oh, it's fine, everyone sort of is okay with us, and we want to be liked, and we want everyone to like us, and it's great when the church is liked, and hey, we could put nice videos out, and everyone would go, oh, the church is lovely. Can I say, when the world really is confronted with who Jesus truly is, there will be an intense hostility often to that truth. That's what Stephen experienced. Back in Psalm 37, um, we read this. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 12. Oh, no, that's Job. Hang on. <laughs> I was going to say, that doesn't look like what I thought. Um, Psalm 37, verse 12. Um, it says this, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. 
Do you hear it? The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth. There it is. Those who are, stand opposed to God, those who resist the Holy Spirit, will gnash their teeth at those who love Jesus. And I want to say it's, we've got to resist the temptation to keep our heads down and go, well, let's just not stir up the nest too much. There are times when we have to walk through the wasp's nest, right? There are times when we have to stand up for what is true. There are times when we have to say things that will stir up fury. And you must have seen it, right? When a Christian puts their head above the parapet in the media and says anything about Jesus, bang! The sheer hatred that is unleashed. We've got to be realistic. We live in a world where the message of Jesus confronts people. It touches something deep inside us. And if you've ever experienced any of that, you've got to know it's not personal to you. It's not you. It's Jesus. So Stephen faced a fury, a gnashing of teeth. And the contrast of Stephen is stunning, isn't it? In the face of that anger and fury, Stephen is so calm and so quiet and in control and full of the Spirit. I want to say this to you. In the moment of intense battle, when you think, I could never do that, the Spirit will be the one who gives you the power to do it. So that's what Stephen faced And I've got to be honest with you, that is what we will face sometimes. Perhaps not to the extreme of Stephen, but that's what it's like to follow Jesus. And if we just want an easy life where we keep our head down and don't stir the wasp's nest, well, we're never going to be faithful to Jesus. So how did Stephen do it? Here's the second thing, what Stephen saw. Let's get into this. This is the bit now where it's mind-blowing and exciting and um, wonderful. Stephen saw a sequence of things that became increasingly more compelling. And these are the things that enabled him to stand firm. These are the things that enabled him to have courage. Let me just read verse 55 again. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That's what Stephen saw. So in the midst of all this rage and these guys rushing towards him and gnashing their teeth and all the rest of it, Stephen lifts his eyes above all of that. He lifts his eyes to heaven. He sees three things. Firstly, he sees that heaven is open. Heaven is opened. That's a remarkable thing to see. Come on, we've got, to, we've got to engage with this this afternoon. Heaven was open. You know, one of the realities that's been true since the very beginning of the Bible is that heaven is shut to sinful people. When the first, huma- first human being sinned against God, God placed a great big no-entry sign to heaven. He said, you cannot come into my presence. He put two great bodyguards to, 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 uh, guard, to guard the way. Two angels with flashing swords guarding the way. Here's the message. The God of the Bible is holy, holy, holy. He's pure. He's perfect. He's beautiful in every single way. 
And if we are not holy, and if we are sinful, we cannot come into his presence. That was powerfully visualized for Israel in the temple. In the temple, in the holy place, the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the presence of God came. There was a curtain placed to separate the people from God. No entry, no entry. And on the curtain was embroidered two angels. You cannot come in. In many ways, that's a very helpful way to describe the problem that humanity faces. What what is our greatest problem? Heaven is shut. That's the problem. The God that we were created to know cannot be known because heaven has been shut. But look, come on, look, Stephen saw heaven open. How can that be? How can it be that heaven has now been opened? Well, the answer is because of Jesus. It's because Jesus has come. And the coming of Jesus changes everything. At the start of Jesus' ministry, he's baptized. You know what happened when he was baptized? It says heaven was opened and the Spirit came down upon Jesus. Here is the man who can open heaven. Why? Well, because he's the perfect man who does not need to be shut out of heaven. Here is the perfect one who can open heaven. And even more extraordinarily, at his death, as Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain that blocked off humanity from God is torn in two. The angels guarding the way back are ripped out of the way as Jesus defeats sin, defeats what would keep us out of heaven and opens heaven for us. And so Stephen saw heaven open. Look, do you get it, right? Today, heaven is open. Do you understand that... The door of heaven is open to you. Jesus has opened it. All you need do is trust him. When Jesus speaks to his church in the book of Revelation, he says, See, I set before you an open door that no one can shut. You will never be shut out of heaven because Jesus has opened the door for you. And therefore you trust him. But it gets more amazing than that. So that's just the first thing that he saw. Because then Stephen saw not just heaven opened, he then saw into heaven and saw the glory of God. So what is it that he peers through the door? What, what, what can he see in this little glimpse of heaven while it's dominated by the glory? That's a massive thing to say. As he's given this glimpse into heaven... Glory dominates the view. But what does that mean? I mean, what, what, what is the glory? How do you see the glory of God? What does that look like? What is it? Well, in the Bible, glory is all about God's character on display. Right, think. Remember I said um, just about three minutes ago that God is holy, 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 right? Perfect and pure. Glory is when the character of God is put on display at a scene in all its beautiful, shining wonder. So, okay, look, um, think of the crown jewels. Imagine the crown jewels, which is just not far away. Um, and we took the crown jewels and we put them in a box, a cardboard box, an Amazon box. And we put it on a shelf. 
Do the crown jewels still have the same worth and value? Yes. But their glory is hidden because they're not on display. You can't see it. You see, glory is when that which is of infinite worth is shown for what it truly is. That's glory. Got it? So God is infinitely worthy. He's holy, holy, holy. But his character is hidden from view often. And so glory is what happens when God puts himself on display. You see, the trouble is, because of our um, sinfulness, God's holiness would be too much for us to see. But, there, but God, this God of burning and beautiful purity, chooses to go public. He puts his glory on display. He does it in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. As you look around the world, you see something of God's character in what he has made. But, but only a glimpse, it's only a little glimpse. What Stephen saw was the full glory of God. <laughs> That's going to be overwhelming, Right? There's a weight here. There's an awe. And our kind of modern obsession with the trivial and the light means we miss the weighty glory of God. Stephen saw it. Stephen saw what Isaiah the prophet had seen before him. Or Ezekiel the prophet, but not many. Only a few. And here is his glory. It would be easy in the noise and the fury of all that's happening in this trial for Stephen to lose sight, but Stephen sees it clearly. Heaven is opened. He sees the glory of God. I, I, I wonder, do we, do we know the glory of God? Have you tasted anything of the glory of God? Have you seen the beauty of God? Have you ever felt the weightiness of who God is? He is glorious. Stephen saw it. And one day we'll see it too. But then Stephen saw a third thing. I mean, what a moment. He saw heaven opened. He saw the glory of God. And then thirdly, and this is the most remarkable of all, he saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So when Stephen sees through the door of heaven, into heaven, into the heart of the universe, what what does Stephen see? He sees Jesus. Jesus is the reality at the center of our universe. Jesus is the center of everything. In the very heart of heaven itself. It's Jesus. That's Jesus, the man, right? Not Jesus, a floaty, floaty being, but the man, Jesus, is who Stephen saw. Jesus, born in Bethlehem as a baby. Jesus, walking the dusty streets of Jerusalem. Jesus, standing before the Sanhedrin, accused of blasphemy. Jesus, stumbling and falling under the weight of a cruel wooden cross. Jesus, struggling to breathe. Jesus, with agony, with blood pouring down his face. 
Jesus the corpse hanging lifeless on a cross. That's who he saw. I see Jesus. Can you imagine the sparkle in Stephen's eyes? I can see him. And I see him no longer as a beaten up, weak corpse. I see him as the exalted, ascended, all-glorious one. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is who Stephen saw, the one who was dead, now risen and ascended to the place of all authority. That's who he saw. Is that how we understand Jesus? You know, the very striking thing about this and the slightly unnerving thing and the reason I think the Sanhedrin must have found it so terrifying was because this is exactly what Jesus had said to them. Remember Stephen standing in front of the Sanhedrin. That's the same religious group that Jesus stood in front of just a couple of months earlier. And Jesus said to them um, as they tried him um, at, at his at his trial, and they accused him of blasphemy. They said to him, are you the son? Uh, He said, if you're the Messiah, they said, tell us. Then he said, but from now on, Jesus said, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They asked him, are you then the son of God? He replied, you say that I am. You get it? Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. You're going to kill me, but after you've killed me, you're going to see me ascended, seated at the right hand of God. So now the Sanhedrin and the Romans have put Jesus to death, and now they're faced with Stephen who says, I can see Jesus seated at the right hand of God. You get why that's slightly freaky? Stephen saw Jesus. And this is what Peter's been preaching in the book of Acts. Remember, Stephen has been listening to Peter preach. This is exactly what Peter's preached. Peter said that Jesus, who was dead, has been raised and exalted to the right hand of God. You see, this is, this is the reality of who Jesus is. Because at this point, you might have a slight question that says, well, hang on. If he's at the right hand of God, I thought he was God. How can you be at the right hand of God and be God? Well, we're not supposed to think of this um, as kind of a big throne and a little throne. Here's God on the big throne. Here's Jesus on his little throne. No, actually, that's not what it says. It says that he saw the glory of God. And Jesus is right there at the right hand. That is the position of all honor and glory. Sharing the very glory of his father. And you know that must be the case because Stephen Stephen is about to pray to Jesus. And so here he is, all glorious. So here's my question. Can you see Jesus clearly? Can you see that heaven is opened? Can you see that God is glorious? And can you see Jesus clearly? If you've relegated Jesus to a backwater of history, if you've sidelined him as someone who can largely be ignored, then you need to know that Jesus is the Son of Man who has been given all authority. 
It's where we started this afternoon. Jesus said, I have been given all authority. I've got to say, if we could see Jesus right now, we would fall down on our faces before him and we would serve him like Stephen did. We need to see Jesus. And it will either stir up fury within us or it will give us great confidence. That's what Stephen saw. Let's think about what Stephen prayed. Because that's the, uh, the next thing that happens. Because they start to stone him. Um, and as they stone him, look, look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You see, Stephen has such a vision of God. Stephen has such an understanding that he is willing to entrust his life into the hands of Jesus. Receive my spirit. He places himself into the safest hands in the universe. I'm yours. On, on the very point of death, Stephen knows where his confidence lies. And so he prays, receive my spirit. I wonder if we have that sort of confidence about our lives. I wonder if we have that sort of confidence about who holds our life in our lives in their hands. That we could even say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm yours. Receive my spirit. I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my destiny. I trust you even with my death. He prays, receive my spirit. He shows his great confidence. But then he prays something else, verse 60. He fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It doesn't take a genius to notice that these are two of the things that Jesus prayed as he died. Jesus prayed as he died, Father, receive my spirit. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jesus prayed as he died, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And so here is Stephen following in the footsteps of Jesus. He's so confident of Jesus. Jesus who's blazed the trail before him. Jesus who's gone through death and risen again and is now exalted. Stephen says, I'm safe. You can do what you like to me. I'm safe. He's got me and I'm going to him. And so the hatred of the opponents is met with the love of Stephen. Stephen is able to pray out of deep love for his enemies. Which brings me to the fourth point. And that is that we need to know what Stephen unleashed. You know this prayer, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do you know how significant that prayer is? Do you know what God did with that prayer? Look, Stephen's barely got any life left in him. All he can do is get out these words. Do not hold this, this sin against them. But nothing's wasted with Jesus. 
Those words, they're not wasted. Who was watching Stephen die? Who was watching that day when Stephen died? Twice we're told. Twice we're told that Saul was there. They laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. As Stephen dies, he prays for his enemies. And one of those that he prays for is Saul, who becomes Paul, who becomes the apostle to the Gentiles, who is the very reason that we're sitting here today. You would not be here if Stephen hadn't prayed that prayer. But Stephen had such a big understanding of what God was doing that he would gasp out a prayer like this. And through the prayer of Stephen, the gospel is unleashed to the nations. We're going to read, in the next chunk, you'll see that because of this persecution against Stephen, the gospel is driven out of Jerusalem and people go, go, go. And the gospel is unleashed and it is the It is because of Stephen and his courage and his vision of Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit that now the gospel is unleashed to go to the nations. And it's because he dared to pray for his enemies. Do you ever feel like your prayers are a waste of time? Do you ever feel like you say prayers and you go, what a waste of time that is? You, You don't know. Do you ever feel like you do something that was a waste of time? It, it just looks, humanly speaking, like this is the ultimate in waste. You've just wasted this life. You've just wasted this promising young preacher person. And now he's dead. But Jesus, it's like, no, he's not wasted. <laughs> Nothing's wasted. And that's why there's this beautiful detail which is very, very unusual in the New Testament. And that is that when we're told that Jesus is at the right hand of God, we're told he's standing. He's never standing. Everywhere else in the New Testament, he's sitting at the right hand of God. Why is he standing? Well, he's standing because his precious child is about to come home. He's standing to welcome Stephen home. The sheer beauty of what Stephen saw and experienced. And that's why when at the end of verse 60 it says that Stephen fell asleep. He fell asleep because he went home. Now all of this to say, that we need to understand that what looks to us like a waste and what looks to us futile and what looks to us like failure and disaster and like it's everything is going wrong, you need to let Jesus whisper over your life, but nothing is wasted. Nothing. Not the death of Stephen, not the frustrations that we feel, not the plans that go wrong. Nothing's wasted as we trust in him. 
because heaven is opened. God is glorious and Jesus is there. So I hope this encourages you. I hope it encourages us to to be willing to walk through the wasp's nest, to be willing to say things that are hard, to be willing to speak for Jesus, and to know that he's there for us. So why don't we bow our heads and pray, and then we're going to sing and celebrate these truths together. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for what Stephen saw. We thank you for what Stephen prayed. We thank you that because of your grace and your power, we thank you for what Stephen unleashed across this world. And Lord, we pray that we'd be people who see like Stephen saw. We pray that we'd be people who are full of your spirit. We pray that we would be people who meet fury and hatred with love and gentleness. Father, we pray that we wouldn't want to win arguments, but that we'd want to love people. Our Lord, we thank you that we can see in Stephen such an obvious echo of Jesus. So Lord, we ask that this afternoon we'd lift our eyes to heaven, we'd see that heaven is open, we'd see that you are glorious, we'd see that Jesus is ascended, and Lord, that we would trust him. We ask it in his name. Amen.